Good morning. My name is Susan, and I'm an alcoholic. I um, uh, I think it's great that we changed. I don't like change, so obviously that's a good thing this morning. Um, I um, am very grateful to be here this morning and very grateful that Joe asked me to talk to you guys. Uh, it's been a while since I've talked at a meeting. And um, and so this is great. Um, I'm grateful to be here at IDAA. This is my second meeting. Uh, my sobriety date is January 11th, 1982. Um, I um, came to my first IDAA meeting last year, and uh, it was because of Joe. Uh, I met him, and he said, did you know there's a group of doctors? I said, really? Um, that should have come no, to no surprise to me since I helped some of them get in treatment in 1985, 86, and 87. Um, but I had no idea that you guys had such a wonderful place to come. So I'm grateful to be here and be a part of this. I, um, I got sober when I was 20 years old. Um, I grew up in Bossier City, Louisiana. I don't know if anybody knows where that is. Uh, it's a beautiful, muggy south, uh, nice and humid, uh, just like it has been here this summer. So that's been great. Uh, my parents were 16 years old when they had kids. Uh, they were really the traditional southern family. Uh, my dad came from kind of an upper middle class family. My mom came from the wrong side of the tracks. Uh, they uh, told their parents they got pregnant. Uh, they drove them to Marshall, Texas, uh, had them married by a justice of the peace, gave them one night in a hotel, drove them back, um, put them in a, an apartment, and then my grandparents told my dad that he was disowned. Uh, and for the next several years, my dad worked a couple of jobs, drank very hard, uh, and tried very hard to get the respect of his dad back. My grandfather was a self-made man, uh, went to World War II, very proud, uh, and was a true alcoholic. Uh, so like many people that I've heard speak here, um, we come from these wonderful families where we have these role models. And um, I loved my dad and I loved my grandfather and I wanted to grow up and be just like them. Uh, being a wonderful overachiever, I overshot the mark. Uh, and uh, when I started drinking at the age of 16, because I never would have done it before then because I was such a good kid, um, at the age of 16, the first time I ever drank, I blacked out. And every time I drank, uh, I had some uh, amazing, wonderful things happen uh, that should have convinced me that I really can't drink. Um, but being a good uh, alcoholic, um, I, uh, I didn't really get the message. Uh, I kind of, uh, coming to medicine uh, a little bit later in life uh, and really in that evidence-based uh, medicine uh, movement, uh, I kind of look at my alcoholism as an anti-evidence-based event um, in that, um, you know, the true definition of insanity is that we continue to do things over and over again, irregardless of the evidence that shows that we really shouldn't do it anymore. Uh, and so I am the true anti-evidence-based uh, alcoholic. Um, when I was 16 years old, I had a water skiing accident and ended up in the hospital. Uh, I had some spinal trauma and was in the hospital for about a month and um, was told that uh, I would need extensive rehab. Um, luckily, I had a wonderful doctor uh, who came in and met me. The first thing he said was, car accident, right? Um, and uh, that was about the extent of his attentiveness uh, to my disorder. 
and he kept me pretty well medicated for three weeks. Uh, and I discovered in the course of taking a lot of codeine uh, and morphine that uh, I could say things to people that I had never been able to say before. Now, I don't know that they necessarily wanted to hear any of it, <clears throat> because a lot of it was, uh, you know, angry and how they had victimized me and um, uh, certainly uh, a lot of blaming. Uh, and that, that pretty much uh, helped bring out that personality that um, many of us uh, uh, call that true alcoholic personality. And it was about that time that I met what I call my black snake. Um, I don't know if any of you have uh, that same messenger that whispers in your ear that tells you, um, no, it's okay, you can do that, it'll be fine. Um, and to me, that's kind of how I look at my alcoholism. Um, I should have learned at that point that whenever I take any kind of chemical, uh, my mind becomes a really bad neighborhood. One of those places you should never go alone after dark uh, because you get mugged. And uh, and that certainly uh, is true for me whenever I use chemicals. Shortly after I got out of the hospital, I had my first drink. And um, it was uh, one of those memorable, memorable occasions. I had no idea how to drink. Um, so a friend and I went to a liquor store with our brand-new uh, minted fake IDs, and we uh, we bought a couple of bottles of gin. We had no idea what to do with the gin. We didn't know that you could mix it with something. Um, so we just stopped by McDonald's, got a couple of straws, and went and parked under the bridge uh, on the Shreveport side uh, at the Red River Revel. And the last thing I remember, um, it tasted kind of like perfume. Uh, and... And um, we didn't feel anything, so we drank more. Um, it didn't taste real good, so we discovered if we drank it really fast through the straw, that that might that kind of tasted a little better. Um, and I got out of the car, and the last thing I remember was <clears throat> looking around, and this grass was about this high. And the last thing I said was, "Oh my God, I had no idea the grass was this high." Uh, subsequently going back, the grass was really only this high. I was already on the ground, um, just didn't know it. That's the last thing I remember uh, until I woke up sprawled across the top of a police car. Apparently I had blacked out. I had um, gone around the, the uh, carnival, introduced myself to many people, uh, one of them being my grandmother's best friend uh, and her son, um, I didn't remember any of this, and then I went into the bathroom, locked myself into the bathroom, uh, threw up everywhere, um, scared a number of women in the bathroom, and uh, they had to get the police to come and get me out of the bathroom stall. And I woke up laying across the uh, the hood of the car, um, crying like any good uh, new alcoholic would, screaming, you can't arrest me and take me to jail. I'm the president of the National Honor Society. I'm sure they were looking at me thinking, what does that have to do with anything? But to me at the time, it made perfect sense. Um, and, uh, of course, coming from a small town, my grandfather had been at World War II with the police chief, 
the mayor, uh, many of his gambling buddies, uh, and just like my grandfather, who was taken home and didn't feel any consequences, the policeman who happened to pick me up had gone to high school with my dad. Uh, I'm sure he and my dad had many escapades in high school. He asked me where I wanted to go. I told him a teacher's house. He took me there. I spent the night. Um, she called my parents and lied to them, uh, and that was the beginning of my enabling. Um, the only consequences I felt uh, the next day was I did go home. My mom uh, felt bad for me because I looked miserable, brought me a glass of milk, and I don't know if any of you have ever tried to mix old gin with milk, um, but that was um, the extent of the consequences I remember uh, for that day. Um, and for the next four years, um, I drank daily. Um, I uh, manipulated. I lied. I stole. I probably did everything I possibly could in four years, being the overachiever I was. Um, and it, it's the wonderful thing about going to AA meetings and going to... Uh, uh, conferences and being around all of the energy and hearing all of the stories of alcoholics is that gift of knowing that you're not alone. And um, even though I was very young when I went to a when I started AA, <clears throat> the behaviors, the mentality, the thinking um, that I had already fine-tuned in many short years um, is amazing. And it's really a beautiful thing to hear all of that um, coming to these meetings, the similarities that we all have. Um, I uh, began to uh, not show up at school so much, so I had to make a lot of excuses. Um, I um, was manipulative enough and um, articulate enough to um, to join um kind of an early college entry uh, program, which thrilled my family to no end because no one had ever gone to college in my family. Uh, and so they supported it any way they could. Uh, that meant that I got to go to, uh, to high school halftime and to college halftime, uh, which was much better because those people were older and they drank more. Um, so I could hang out with them and, um, and get drunk. Um, the uh, Louisiana State University in Shreveport had a six-year uh, medical uh, program uh, that they had started, uh, and that was my goal. Uh, I knew I wanted to be a doctor from the time I was eight years old and can tell you exactly where I was when I told my mom that I wanted to be a doctor. Uh, we were driving to the bank. I had started working for my grandfather um, at a racetrack, and I uh, he owned the concessions at some racetracks, and um, at eight years old he put us to work. And um, I started saving my money and told my mom, I'm going to go to college. I'm going to be a doctor. And um, I can remember her telling me at that time that it would be hard to convince my dad and my grandfather that it was be good for a woman to go, for a girl to go to college. Um, but I was pretty committed to it. Um, you see, in, at that time, um, women got married and had kids, and um, they didn't really go to college. Uh, that was pretty rebellious at the time. Um, but being rebellious uh, in a subtle, quiet, uh, innocent, manipulative uh, sort of way, um, I figured there'd be some way for me to do it. <clears throat> so um, that's what I set out to do in that early entry program. 
Uh, unfortunately, um, the people that I was hanging out with uh, were very willing to um, give me alcohol whenever I asked for it um, because I was fun when I was drinking um, at first. You know, I was loud. I wanted to do things. We'd go dancing. Um, I was the life of the party. I wanted to, um, I wanted to just live life to the fullest every moment. And um, I would come up with great ideas. Uh, and, you know, some of those ideas were, you know, like walking across the railroad tracks across a Red River when you're drunk. Um, not necessarily good ideas. Um, but they seemed like good ideas at the time. Um, I managed to um, not show up enough to class uh, to where I didn't do well, and I barely graduated from, from high school. Uh, I had plenty of reasons and excuses for all of that, um, like most of us do. And made my first geographical at 17. I left home and went to the University of Houston on a music scholarship uh, that I had um, managed to manipulate out of uh, a group of people who cared for me a great deal uh, that I had been teaching band camps for every summer uh, in high school. And um, <clears throat> once I got down there, um, I continued drinking. Um, because drinking did something for me. You know, I hear this repeatedly. When I, and I, and I heard it last night, uh, from Don. You know, when I drank, um, I wasn't scared anymore. Uh, and I was scared a lot. You know, I was nervous a lot. Um, and, uh, I, I didn't feel so good about myself. And when I drank, I felt Okay. I felt tall. Uh, I felt, uh, attractive. I felt normal. Um, you know, I don't know what it is, uh, for, for me or for alcoholics that we, we can somehow go into a room, uh, and not feel a part of, uh, not feel welcome, uh, even though people are holding their hands out to us. So alcohol for me, made me feel like I belonged. Uh, I didn't really <clears throat> try any other drugs. Uh, my brother uh, had smoked marijuana, and, of course, I thought that was just absolutely atrocious um, and was very righteously indignant about that, uh, judged him harshly, and um, can, you know, kind of used that to keep any focus off of me and my bad behavior. Uh, at the University of Houston, I again drank, uh, joined a sorority. It seemed like a good idea. I've heard many people do that. Um, and uh, moved into the sorority house, became a fraternity little sister, and uh, because then you got to go to more parties. And um, uh, I drank pretty much every day. Uh, eventually, I stopped showing up there uh, and um, uh, decided that it would be a really good idea to... Um, uh, to change schools and try to really get myself together. I don't know if any of you guys have done this, but when you really kind of begin to get the hint that things aren't going so well and people are beginning to say things to you and so you decide, okay, I'm really going to crack down, I'm going to stop drinking now, everything's going to be fine. So I decided the cure for me would be to go to Houston Baptist University, that they would get me in shape and there would be enough structure there, I would get back into some kind of religion, and I would stop drinking. Um, well, that didn't last very long. I was in a music group. Uh, we were uh, traveling around doing weddings and parties and youth groups and um, 
couple of friends and I, we decided that things were kind of boring, so what the heck, we'd jump out of a plane. So we got a group together, went to Pearland, Texas, uh, signed up for instruction to parachute. And, it's, you know, my thinking was really clear, you know, uh, any excitement would do. So uh, we played at a, this group of us, we played at a at a dance one night, and then we stayed up drinking all night long because we didn't want to get up early the next morning to go down to this school in Pearland, Texas. And, um, again, all of this made perfect sense. And so I had brought a couple of cases of malt duck. Do you guys remember malt duck? It's really bad. <clears throat> it probably has about this much alcohol in it, so you have to drink a whole lot of it. And it's got a lot of bubbles. And so, anyway, we um, we stayed up drinking that all night long, and then the next morning went down to Pearland, Texas, and um, hung over uh, with uh, hidden flasks to keep us going all day. We took jump school and ended up jumping out of a plane. Um I thought that was great excitement um, until, of course, one of us got hurt. And um, a young man that was with us um, had been way too drunk. Uh, he didn't land well uh, and ended up fracturing his spine. Um, again, I didn't get it, you know. I didn't get it. I just didn't see it. I didn't get it. I didn't think about it. Um, and so uh, it just seemed like maybe a little... Maybe I should stop drinking a little bit. So going to Houston Baptist University was a good idea until, again, I stopped showing up and um, got drunk one morning, go to my uh, New Testament uh, class, and uh, the instructor wasn't very pleased with me and suggested that I go to the dean's office because I smelled of alcohol. Um, I did go to the dean's office. He had one of those really nice, big, long, black leather couches, uh, and he was in a meeting, so I sat down on the couch, and the next thing I know... I was being awakened by the dean as I was sleeping on his couch, uh, and um, he politely asked me to leave his university. So um, uh, at this point, um, I was uh, 18 years old, um, and um, so I needed to get a job at this point um, uh, and figure out what I was going to do. Uh, so I got a job with the, uh, with the people who'd helped me get the music scholarship. And I began a one year, um, very dedicated, uh, embezzlement, um, process from this company, uh, in order to support my drinking, uh, and my lifestyle. Uh, so at the age of, uh, 18, I had, uh, been kicked out of a couple of colleges. I had um, been lying repeatedly. Um, now I was stealing, uh, and um, I was continuing to drink. Um, I made another geographic uh, going to Albuquerque, New Mexico, where my grandparents were, and uh, my aunt was very sick. I got on a plane, went out to see my aunt, uh, ended up having an emergency appendectomy, and um, ended up staying there. And... Um, enrolling in another college. Uh, this time, though, I was really going to get myself together. I was going to take those prereqs. I was going to go to medical school. And um, as most of you probably suspect, I didn't, I didn't do it. Uh, I ended up uh, 
recovering at my grandparents' house and going to their liquor cabinet. And um, in the morning, I would just get up, get my vodka, get some orange juice, and drink in front of them. I no longer had enough self-respect or uh, ability to control my own alcoholism or drinking uh, in order to not do that in front of the people that I love the most. And my grandparents were very, very important to me. Um, during this time also of drinking, I had become very promiscuous. Um, uh, all of the things that were against my values, I did. Um, and just like LeClaire had talked about yesterday morning, um, you know, I would go and I would drink and uh, I'd wake up the next morning and that horrible feeling of, oh, my God, I'm not alone. Uh, and... Uh, and there would be uh, some guy that um, I didn't know, uh, and um, you know we'd quickly part ways, and um, I would feel terrible. Uh, I would wonder how in the world did I do that. I would remember nothing, uh, and yet again I'd go out, go to the bar, go dancing, and pick somebody up one more time. So. Um, all of those things are are very similar to so many other people's stories, and um, uh, I feel very lucky that um, I ran into uh, the right people at the right time. Uh, I got drunk uh, and um, showed up for a final, for a biology uh, final, and the professor looked at me and said, if you don't care enough about uh, my class to show up sober, then you're not going to take the exam, and he failed me. Um, that uh, culminated with my grandparents uh, kicking me out of their house. Um, should have probably pointed out to me that I had some problem, but instead, being the nice, wonderful, generous, helping person that I am, one of my friends had gone to treatment. And as he was getting out of treatment at uh, Cottonwood Hills in Arvada, Colorado, one of my other friends said, boy, he is really sick. He really has a problem, and we really need to get together and make sure that he gets to AA meetings uh, because he needs to get well. Um, his dad was the colonel of the Air Force Base there in Albuquerque, and we really, we really wanted him to do well. His parents were devastated. He had a lot of problems. So we picked him up uh, when he got home from treatment, and we took him to his first AA meeting. And um, all of you nice people said wonderful things to us. Um, I must have looked like hell because many of them talked to me at a great length and uh, handed me a lot of brochures. Um, and, um, of course, I immediately looked at the brochures, looked at my friend, and thought, wow, she needs AA. Oh, my God, she really needs AA. So I went through the brochures, and um, I thought, you know, I'm just going to sit down and talk to her. So I um, I set it up really nice one day, invited her over. We sat down, had a drink, um, like any good alcoholic would, and I started going through the checklist with her and pointing out to her all of the ways that she fit into this and that I would help her get sober if she wanted to. Uh, imagine my surprise when she looked at me and she said, you think you're a social drinker? Um, that was the first time that anybody in those four years had looked at me and said anything about my drinking that I actually heard. Now, I'm sure people said things to me, and I'm sure people made lots of suggestions, um, but I certainly wasn't listening. So this was the first time that I actually heard her and looked at her and thought, 
How dare you? Right? You guys probably thought I was going to say, oh, yes, no, I'm an alcoholic. I should go to those meetings myself. No, um, you know, because one of the things that um, really got me through all of that was, you know, in the big book it talks about us being egomaniacs with inferiority complexes. And I can talk openly now about feeling bad about myself, feeling scared, feeling lonely, um, all of those things that seem so embedded in my soul about uh, feeling feeling just worthless and useless. And, and yet on the outside and around other people, being arrogant, pompous, opinionated, um, my truth is the only truth. Um, because it is the truth, right? Um, knowing what's best for everyone else, um, taking care of other people, uh, and politely suggesting that I know what you need to do to take care of you. Um, there's a, a great uh, tape that I first heard when I when I first came to recovery called King Baby. And I was thinking about that this week. Um, I, I wish I knew uh, who recorded that tape some 20, 30 years ago. Um, but it was a wonderful coincidence. I went in the bookstore, and there's actually a Hazelton pamphlet called King Baby. And I thought, you know, um, it's so true. Um, you know, I fear authority figures, uh, and I manipulate them. Uh, I think that I'm wonderful uh, and don't see uh, that I'm not. It talks about in the big book too, you know, the, the part where the tornado comes and, and, um, everything's falling down. Uh, the whole, the whole world is getting blown away by your behavior. Uh, and there's huge consequences. And the alcoholic comes up out of the storm cellar and says, gee, mine it grand. The wind stopped blowing. You know, I, after four short years of drinking, had already honed all of those to all of those skills. And like I said, I wanted to be like my dad. I wanted to be like my grandfather. And being the overachiever I am, I really overshot the mark. Um, I decided that she was wrong. I was a social drinker. I could stop any time I wanted to stop. And that um, uh, to prove it, I would uh, I would go back to those meetings. And so I did set out to go to those meetings, and I went um, to those discussion meetings, and I spent time telling them all the reasons why I wasn't an alcoholic. I'm sure they'd never had anyone show up and do that before. Um, and after the meeting, these nice women would sit down with me and try to talk to me about alcoholism, and again, I would spend all of my time convincing them why I wasn't an alcoholic. Um, they challenged me, of course, and said, if you're not, go ahead and stay sober for 30 days. Um, I couldn't. I would stay sober for a couple of days, and then I'd drink, and then I'd try it again, and I'd drink, and I'd try it again. All the time, though, being so obstinate and so rebellious and so defiant in my very polite southern way, I would go and show up at the meetings so that I could continue to convince them that I wasn't an alcoholic. Um, so, you know, I really do believe that um, that that I do have a God that's looked out for me, you know, and the, um, the spirituality that I found in this program, um, is just, it's really, um, it is my life, you know, it's everything that is the program for me. 
And, you know, there's a million times in the course of whether it was jumping out of a plane, whether it was swinging from railroad tracks, whether it was driving drunk uh, on the Houston highways, um, whether it was the time that I picked the guy up off the freeway, uh, went to dinner and then slept with him. There are so many times that I should have been dead. And, um, uh, and I'm not. Uh, and so I think that's a miracle. Uh, and I hear people talk about that all the time, whether it's the drugs they mix, the amount they take, uh, how we drink and the risks we take. There's so many times that uh, I should have been dead. And I'm sure there are so many times that I wanted to be dead uh, as I uh, as I felt uh, lonely, lost uh, and uh, alone in the gr- in the midst of groups of people. Um I um I got lucky again. My higher power uh certainly uh has been with me. Those nice women at that meeting uh invited themselves to come over to my apartment. I was certainly willing. I wanted them to come over. Of course, I cleaned like crazy like I hadn't done in months. Made it all look perfect. Uh and they came over and uh sat on my couch. Um I served them tea. Um and um got all the liquor, you know, hid it. Everything looked perfect. And, um, uh, again, I was trying to convince them how I didn't need to, you know, go to AA and everything was fine. And I wasn't an alcoholic. And, um, you know, I'd never had a DUI. I'd never been fired from a job because I think getting kicked out of colleges, nobody ever really mentions. So it doesn't really count, right? Um, and, um, certainly I really didn't relate to the drinking in the morning thing because I really never stopped. There was really never stop a stopping point or a starting point, so I really couldn't say, "Oh, I, you know, I never drink in the morning; I just drank all the time." Um, and um, these nice these nice two women who um, who I credit a lot of my early recovery to sat there and opened the big book and started reading the promises. And um, about that time, one of my friends came over. He had just had back surgery and knocked on the door, and he wanted to come in and make a sandwich. So I told him, come on in, go to the kitchen, you know, make a sandwich, do whatever you'd like. Um, and I sat back down. They continued to read the promises, and we chatted. About a couple of minutes later, then uh, another friend came over, and she had another friend with her. And I think they had done something like drop, dropped acid or something. They were pretty wild, pretty out of control, had been drinking. I think it was like 9 in the morning. Um, and... Um, and so they came in laughing, talking. You know, I introduced them all. I tried to get them to calm down, get get quiet, you know, make a good appearance. Well, they kind of went swishing through there and went into the kitchen where Joe was. And, you know, Jan made the mistake of slapping him on the back. And um, he'd had some painkillers and maybe a few other things to wash the painkillers down. He lost it. He turned around and grabbed her, slammed her up against the kitchen door, the two nice ladies from AA just sat there on the couch. <laughs> they began to tear my entire kitchen apart. I'm appalled. I'm shocked. I'm terrified that these two women are seeing this perfect example of the chaos in my life. They proceed to tear the kitchen up and then move out into the living room where we are. And I felt like... Uh, that kind of that cartoon, the Tasmanian devil, you know, where it's just whirling around. It probably only lasted a split second, but it seemed like it lasted for five days. And the two nice ladies from AA just sat there. 
Half of my apartment ended up on the front lawn, along with these three people who are screaming and fighting and yelling at each other. Who knows why? Who knows what? I'm sure there was a lot of chemicals and alcohol involved. Uh, and the two nice ladies just sat there, didn't move, didn't say anything. I, of course, at this point am terrified. I'm crying. I'm completely, my whole entire theater production of how perfect and wonderful everything is in my life had just been taken out to the front lawn with half of my apartment. And I don't think that there could have been any better representation of what my life was like, what my friends were like. Uh, I, I, I could never have described it. Um, that was a turning point for me. I sat down in the chair. They very calmly just continued to read the promises. <laughs> Didn't say a word. Afterwards offered to take me to a meeting. I agreed. Um, that was January 11th, 1982, uh, and I've been sober ever since. Um, I uh, went to probably being good overachiever, probably 180 meetings in 90 days, um, and uh, about, oh, two and a half months into um, going to meetings all the time, um, these very nice two women um, put me on a plane and sent me to Cottonwood Hills in Arvada, Colorado, uh, where I stayed for 45 days uh, for inpatient treatment. And I'm very grateful that I'd had a couple of months to dry out a little bit uh, in order to go because um, I was present for the whole thing. And um, I met a bunch of wonderful people there. And the last thing that they said to me as I left, oh, I did forget to say that before I went to treatment, you know, I was kind of wearing these black cowboy boots and jeans and T-shirts and kind of tough. And, well, I thought I was pretty tough. Um, before I went to treatment, of course, I packed designer jeans, Izod shirts, and still tried to look good when I got there. Luckily, they broke all that down and um, and introduced me to um, the great program of Alcoholics Anonymous and uh, a lot of love. Uh, so my sobriety, um, I actually now have been sober uh, longer than the years I was old when I went to treatment. And um, for me, that's a miracle. Uh, the last thing that... Um, Jeannie Rigaud said to me as I was walking out the door was, the way to stay sober is to help other people. And um, and those those words rang in my ears. Um, at first I thought she was, of course, you know, being that egomaniac. Of course I heard that as, I must be really wonderful with people. That's what I should do. And luckily I had a good sponsor who said, no, maybe she meant it because she knew that you're really at risk for relapsing and you really need to work the program and go to meetings. and So I did the, all of the stuff that I was told to do. I got a sponsor. Um, I went to AA meetings with the, um, the five old men in the front row with the big book. Uh, they told me how to work the steps. Um, they welcomed me, uh, even though I was 20 years old. Um, I was kicked out of one meeting uh, in Albuquerque because I was too young and had not uh, experienced enough as an alcoholic. Um, but luckily that was only one meeting and, um, there wasn't a, a lot of young people around at that time, but after that, um, certainly young people in AA has grown tremendously over the years. Um, luckily I didn't listen to them. I didn't think I needed to go and earn more, more points. Uh, and I stayed in recovery. Um, 
I ended up going back to college, uh, getting a degree, uh, becoming a drug and alcohol therapist. I worked for Cottonwood Treatment Centers for 10 years. Um, they loaned me out to Hughes Aircraft, became an employee assistance person, got an MBA, ran an adult sexual trauma treatment program, and, uh, and um, uh, became a health care administrator, uh, one of the evil ones. Um, uh, at least that's what they asked me about. Or at least that's what one of my interviewers said when I tried to when I interviewed for medical school. Uh, why would someone from the dark side want to be in medicine? Want to come and be a doctor? Uh, so um, I finally got back to my original dream. Uh, a friend of mine looked at me uh, in my late twenties and said, "You know, you spend a lot of time helping other people." Um, what is it that you really always wanted to do? And I think I probably needed to get really sober and I needed to help other people and I needed to, um, I needed to build enough self-esteem to be able to say, yeah, I can go and do what I want to do. Um, so I applied to medical school, got in, and, um, I loved medical school. Uh, it was a great time, made a lot of friends, had a wonderful, uh, fun time, uh, still went to meetings and, uh, and, uh, had good connections. Um, somewhere along the line, though, my original dream was to just do family medicine uh, and um, incorporate the family systems work I'd done for many years, work in addictions. Uh, and somewhere I, in that third and fourth year where I started doing all those clerkships, I stopped going to meetings, I started isolating, and I somehow got in my head that I wanted to be normal. Remember that black snake I mentioned earlier? You know... My my alcoholism, my mind, remember, it's just a bad neighborhood. You don't go there alone, and you certainly don't go there alone after dark. It will mug me without warning. And my alcoholic thinking is right there to talk to me and say, you know, these people probably really won't accept you if they know that you're an alcoholic. These people are going to be doctors. They're really smart. They're really special. They're not going to accept you if you're not normal. So for some reason, I set out to try to be really normal. I didn't want to tell anybody that I was an alcoholic. Um, I had 20 years of, you know, recovery and friends and all, or, you know, almost getting, you know, what insanity, again, doesn't make sense. Um but unless I'm vigilant in my recovery, my alcoholic uh, thinking is right there. And, um, you know, I was told early in recovery that um, if you relapse, your disease is continuing to progress and that uh, you'll be back worse than you were as if you had been drinking the whole time. And I want you to know that it's not just the drinking. I was lucky enough not to drink going through all of that uh, isolation and withdrawing slowly from my meetings. But I want you to I want you to know my thinking had progressed 20 years. My thinking and that that alcoholic thinking of you're worthless, you're not as good as these people, um, you don't deserve this. Um, my my drive towards trying to snatch defeat out of the jaws of victory. Uh, was just as strong as if I had still continued to drink for those 16, 18 years. And um, I decided I needed to be um, 
kind of ride the road of competitiveness and prove that I was as normal and as good as these other people. Medical school is a perfect uh, fertilized uh, ground for that. Um, I got on the, you know, I have to be the top in the class, uh, I have to study all the time, justifies my isolation, justifies my going away from people, um, and um, decided that I would become, you know, do a specialty, not do family medicine. Uh, my medical school is number three in primary care. Uh, they push family medicine, so the more they push that, the more I decided that I should probably be a specialist and not do family medicine. All the defiant, all the rebellion, everything came flooding back. And um, I chose a medicine uh, matched uh, in a good university program and um, and uh, got involved with that, did uh, a good 24, 27 months of call straight, uh, didn't call my sponsor, didn't go to meetings, and uh, you can all imagine uh, how bankrupt I was at the end of that 24 months. Um, luckily, um, my friends uh, reached out to me. Uh, they started coming and flying up to visit me, wondering what was wrong with me. Um, and luckily, I had enough foundation to start talking to them and opening up and saying, I'm not doing anything but working. Uh, I had slipped back into uh, workaholism, which I had worked on early in my recovery. Uh, again, medicine is a fertile ground for that. Um, and knowing everything that I know about recovery, um, I still... Um, I still want you to know that uh, addiction is just waiting for me. You know, that, that alcoholic thinking, my addictive behavior, my drive um, to somehow prove that I'm not an addict um, really took over. And um, so I stepped back. I took a couple of months off, went to Taos, um, stayed with some friends, uh, went to 90 meetings in 90 days, uh, and switched to family medicine. And um, it's there that um, I ran into Joe, who said, do you know about these IDA guys? And I was like, oh, my God, my people. Um, it's been the greatest gift for me in the last couple of years, uh, and it's been a nice rebirth into recovery. And, again, I just want to say that um, uh, my, my higher power uh, must know what an idiot I am. Because, um, again, I should have been dead. Uh, I could have gotten lost, and I didn't. Um, there's always the people. There's, there's always these miracles that happen um, that are just amazing. I sat down at a table last night, um, uh, and, and next to me was a, a wonderful young man who got sober at 17, um, who uh, came to medicine later. Uh, who was a young person in recovery and um, talked about isolating in medical school and residency. And if, if, just one, if just one time that little black snake wanted to whisper in my ear about how different I was, how I didn't belong, you know, it just doesn't have a chance because my higher power always provides for me what I can't provide for myself. And so I'm not unique. I'm not different. This wonderful guy was willing to sit next to me and share all these things. And um, every time that happens, it's it's like a hug. You know, it's like, you know, it's an affirmation that I do deserve to be here. 
that I belong. Um, I um, uh, worked the steps again, uh, made amends to my sponsor for not contacting her. Um, I call my sponsor daily. Uh, I work the steps. I go to meetings. Um, I read the big book. And, um, you know, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. Uh, hopefully I've learned a lesson about, uh, in recovery, about being a dry drunk. Uh, all of those things that I heard early on in sobriety that I swore I would never do. Um, and it's nice to, uh, to know that you can recover from that as well. Um, my life today is pretty simple. Um, uh, I, uh, I like to think that it's, uh, pretty happy uh, and pretty stable. Uh, I've been in the same relationship for 18 years. Uh, I'm looking forward to finishing uh, the last couple of months of residency and staying on as faculty uh, and teaching. Uh, I'm not looking to become some great uh, administrator of a hospital uh, and getting all sorts of external accolades. Um, hopefully my ins- insides uh, have recovered Um, I'm still the only person in my family who's gone to college, and I am the only person in my family who's uh, in recovery. Um, So um, it's pretty sad that uh, people haven't chosen that, uh, but it doesn't mean that I can't still be recovering. Um, So thank you all for being here this morning and letting me talk to you. Um, I was pretty nervous and pretty scared, um, but once I start talking and remembering, I'm just one of you guys. It's all good. Thank you very much.